Good morning, church. I hope you're well. Yesterday, I began coming down with a number of cold symptoms, runny nose, congestion, lots of sneezing. And so in, in a time of what has apparently come to be called a triple-demic, uh, I, I thought it would be kind for me to stay at a distance today. I love Christmas presents as much as the next person, but I would hate to give any of you a cold for Christmas. So I'm coming to you on video today, which is ironic given what we will be talking about. But before we get to that, I want to come back to the words that have just been sung. Come, Lord, and open in us the gates of your kingdom. Come, Lord, and open in us the gates of your kingdom. See, these words are yet another Advent prayer. Come, Lord. Over these weeks of Advent, we have been reflecting on words from the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come. This is a prayer that we pray every week, and it is right at the heart of Advent. And so a few weeks ago, we began by looking at John the Baptist, who came in the wilderness declaring, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then the next week, we reflected on Isaiah's vision of a kingdom of peace. And last week, we saw the Gospel of John describing it as a kingdom of light. Now, there is this thread going through all of these themes that comes together in what we're going to talk about today. You see, when John the Baptist came declaring the kingdom of God, he didn't stop there, but, but he went on to say, After me comes one who is more powerful than I. Right? Ultimately, John didn't come proclaiming an abstract thing, but he came proclaiming a person, Jesus, who would come after him. Isaiah described a kingdom of peace with that image of wolves peaceably dwelling with lambs and swords being beaten into plowshares. But, but later on in the book of Ephesians, Paul would say that Christ Jesus himself is our peace. Again, peace is not just a concept or a feeling, but a person, Jesus. And then again, last week, we heard the Gospel of John open up with the words, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But as we talked about last week, as the Gospel of John progresses, we eventually hear Jesus declaring, I am the light of the world. Light is not merely an abstract force, but a person, Jesus. Do you see the thread that connects all of these? Our prayer, thy kingdom come, is not about an idea or a concept or a thing, but rather it is a prayer centered on the person of Jesus. Our ultimate hope is not just to see the kingdom of God or to get into heaven someday, but our hope is Jesus himself. And this is what we begin to see come true in our passage today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going today. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 18. 
in just a moment. You see, the season of Advent is the season of waiting, and it's longing for the arrival of Christ. As we hope for his second coming, to come and make all things new, we also look back to his first coming, at his birth. And today we will read the circumstances concerning uh, and surrounding this birth, but most importantly, I want to reflect on how Jesus' birth is described. And so let's read Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. And we thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. As we reflect on the words of your scripture this morning, I pray that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we have, the beginning of Matthew, the story of Mary's miraculous pregnancy and Joseph's divine dream. But as amazing and as powerful as these moments are, at the end of the passage, there is a single word that stands above them all. With. With. God with us. Prepositions are little words, but they can make all the difference, right? One little word makes all the difference between milk staying cold in the refrigerator or milk collecting dust on the refrigerator, right? That's a big difference. It's just one little word, one little letter, actually, right? In this story, we see Mary becoming pregnant through the Holy Spirit. We see an angel visiting Joseph in a dream. But ultimately, this is a story about God coming to be with us. Now, this word with can be one of the most transformative words in our faith. And I believe it's meant to be a primary posture for our faith. 
And yet there are so many other prepositions that often come to describe our, our posture and approach to God. There's an author and a speaker named Sky Jathani who identifies several different prepositions that I want to share with you because I found them to be really helpful. Uh, and so uh, he, here are some of the things that he describes. He begins with what he calls life over God. Life over God. Uh, this is when people aren't really concerned about God, right? Uh, that God stuff is mystical and weird, but I, I'm concerned about results, right? These are people who prioritize their life over God. This is a good description of a lot of the secular world uh, that know, couldn't, could hardly care less about God. But we see this within the church as well, right? As the church, we can be tempted to become more concerned about numbers and metrics than we are actually concerned about God, right? And it becomes this posture of life over God. The church can be just as tempted by the way of the world as anyone else, so that we end up becoming more concerned about ourselves, self-preservation, our own life over God. Uh, so this is one of the postures that he identifies. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum from this life over God is life under God, right? Life under God. And this is a posture that seeks to live under God's commands and God's authority. And it can be a very good and, and humble posture, but often becomes overly concerned with rules, regulations. Life under God often devolves into rule following and legalism so that we end up putting a lot of pressure on ourselves and then judging others. When life is all about being under God, there's truth in it, right? There's truth in that, but it can also start to suck all the joy out of life because life just becomes duty. It's what we ought to do. It's what we have to do because we're under God. Now, another posture that he identifies is life from God life from God. And there is goodness in this, again, because it approaches God as the source of life. And God is the source of life. And yet, often it devolves into treating God like merely a vending machine, right? I just come to God to get what I need, to get what I want. And God becomes like a genie that we make wishes to, but nothing more. Although we go to God to get life from God, this posture often ends up just focusing on ourselves, what we want, what we need. On the other end of the spectrum from this one is what he calls life for God. And this is a, a bold and an energetic posture that seeks to do really great things for God. It's noble, it's exciting, but again, it eventually becomes all about keeping tally of just how much you've done for God, right? How many people have you witnessed to? How many times have you served at church? How many days did you remember to pray and read your Bible? How long did you spend doing those things, right? On and on it goes. Life becomes about doing things for God. 
And this posture usually ends up leading to some kind of burnout where you can become tired of God and the things of God because life is just this long list of spiritual chores. So these four different prepositions, over, under, from, and for, all describe different postures of approaching God. Do you recognize any of these? Have you seen any of these in the lives of people or in your own life at times? Do you resonate with any of these? You see, each one might have its own strength, its own place, but ultimately, all of these approaches to, to God fall short. They ultimately lead to frustration, disappointment, and burnout. But amidst all of our attempts to live over, under, from, and for God, Jesus comes to show us another way. Life with God. Life with God, because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. This simple phrase, God with us, really is the, the culmination of the whole story of Scripture. Uh, there's this really great book that recently came out uh, for children, actually. It's entitled The Story of God with Us. And it actually traces this theme all throughout Scripture with beautiful illustrations. I wish I had a copy to show you. I, I might just get it out and read it now if I had it. Um, but it, this is a pattern all throughout the Bible, this theme of God coming to be with his people uh, and, and so uh, he, here's, here's what we see. In the very beginning, we see God walking with humankind in the Garden of Eden. After the Garden, we see God calling Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be with them, to bless them, and through them, bless the whole world. When they grow from a family into a nation enslaved in Egypt, God calls Moses to lead them out into freedom. And as they enter the wilderness, God gives them instructions to build a tabernacle, which is this tent of meeting, this, this sign that God is with them on the way. Eventually, God leads them into the promised land where he intends to remain with them, just like in the days in the garden. But each step along the way, the people reject God. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. The people complained in the wilderness. Israel turned to worship idols in the land. God tried to speak to his people. He tried to call them back through the prophets. But ultimately, the people ended up in exile. And yet... No matter how much the people rejected God, God still desired to be with his people. And so God would come to be with his people. But this time it wasn't in a garden, a tabernacle, a temple, or a dream. This time God would come to be with his people in the flesh and so when Jesus was born, 
Matthew can say, this is the one who the prophet spoke of called Emmanuel. This is God with us. And in that moment, everything changed. Everything changed. In that moment, God showed us that we're not merely called to live under, from, or, or for him. We're called to live with him. Life in the kingdom of God is ultimately life with the king. It's about life with God. This little word, with, changes everything. It, it changes how we think about God. It changes how we think about ourselves. And it changes how we share this with the world around us. Right? That this one little word, with, tells us that God is not ultimately angry and, and out to get us or distant and, and indifferent to us, but rather God deeply loves us and longs to be with us. This one little word, with, tells us that we are not alone and forgotten, but rather we are a people pursued by God, the God of the universe. In every joy, God is with us. In every grief, God is with us. Through every moment of life, God is with us. It changes everything. This one little word, with, it gives us a whole new story to tell the world, right? Rather than trying to convince people to come to God, we simply announce that God has already come to them. Right? This is what John the Baptist did when he announced the kingdom of God has come near. And these are the same words that Jesus would proclaim throughout his ministry. Because he was Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus, God has come near. This little word with changes everything. It makes our burdens light. It makes our joys sweet. It makes our fears flee. It makes our pain bearable. All because God is with us. Now, I do want to say that uh, God coming to be with us is not necessarily a romantic thing all the time, right? I mean, just ask Joseph in our passage, right? God coming to be with his people by the Holy Spirit uh, in Mary uh, disrupted quite a bit of Joseph's life, right? Joseph was this, you know, very uh, religious man. It says he was faithful to the law in verse 19. Um, and so it put him in a bit of a bind whenever the one he was betrothed to was found pregnant, right? It disrupted a lot of his life. Uh, but ultimately, God would come to Joseph through an angel in a dream and say, Joseph, this is me, right? This is the moment. This is God coming to be with his people. 
And so it disrupted Joseph's life, but it did so in the best way possible. And so God coming to be with us is going to disrupt some things. It won't always just be kumbaya and and warm, fuzzy moments. Um, But there are things that perhaps need to be disrupted. Uh, that perhaps God coming to be with us will displace uh, and draw us into a fuller life because it draws us in to life with God. And so as, as we move toward Christmas, I want you to reflect on, on this question. What does it mean for God to be with us? As you gather with family, what does it mean that God is with you? As you eat pie and drink hot chocolate, what does it mean that God is with you? As you give and and receive gifts, what does it mean that God is with you? Maybe as you spend the holidays alone, what does it mean that God is with you? And even beyond this holiday season, as we begin looking to this next year, what does it look like for us to really live with God? Not merely under him, or for him, or from him, but with him. How might this reality not just transform our our Christmas time, but, but our whole lives? What does it mean for God to be with us? Are there things in your life that perhaps need to be disrupted? that the presence of God might come and and transform and change. What does it look like for God to be with us? This one little word, with, changes everything. I miss not being with you today, but I hope that you've heard today's message loud and clear. God is with us you. God is with us. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the meaning of the kingdom. And this is what we pray for. So as we continue praying, thy kingdom come, let us set our eyes on the king and know that God is with us and will be to the very end. Amen.